This is the Big Fit Girl Uncensored Podcast, produced in partnership with Live Feisty Media. I'm your host, Louise Green, fitness professional, author, and activist for size inclusivity and elevating people to their highest potential. This isn't a podcast about burpees and salads, but rather the underbelly of what it means to be truly well. We unpack it all. Fitness for all sizes, mental health, body positivity, racism, bias, breaking down all the stereotypes that exist in our world. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Thanks for joining me on this ride. Now here we go. Okay, so today on my show, I have the lovely Sarah Sapora. Welcome. Hi there. You guys who are are listening to this right now, what you don't realize is happening is that this is the Cool Glasses Club. Totally. (laughs) You put on these super sassy pink red cat eyes and I have on these aqua, I don't know, sexy librarian glasses. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a look. We look great. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I used to try to get away until recently without wearing my glasses and just try to fudge it. And I'm at that age now where there's just no way. You need the glasses. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, like it, I remember my mother would tell me all these things that were going to happen to me in time with age. And I used to laugh at her, you know, like the desire to take your bra off at the end of the night. I'm like, no, I feel so much better in a bra. And like now <laughs> I'm just slowly becoming my mother. And um, one of them was when you turn 40, like all of a sudden you're going to need glasses. And literally like all of a sudden I needed things to be magnified, which of course doesn't help with the fact that we all spend our entire life on the computer. Right. So, I mean, you just, just give in, just giving into age, just gracefully surrendering to the aging process. Right. And getting some sassy glasses to go along with that. That's, that's the way to roll. Yeah, every couple of months I go, I shop online for these super cheap glasses and I buy like five pairs and then I just sort of scatter them all over the house and then I just understand that of the five, four of them are eventually going to die and get lost. It's like socks. It's like the single sock in the laundry. So I just, you know, replace them every six months with new ones. I think you and I are the same on that. (laughs) So before we hit record, I, I was saying to you that I really think that one of the reasons that you resonate so much with me and so many other women is just because you put out yourself in such a vulnerable way. You tell your truth to the highest extent. And I think what that does for people is it really normalizes what they're feeling inside that they can't really express or acknowledge because sometimes there's shame around that. But when somebody else is normalizing it and making it um, something that they're speaking about, that they can really relate. I think that that is what your brand really is. And and you help women through self-development through that. So one of the things that I went to your website and I saw, the first thing that lands on your website is love the shit out of your life. Mm, What does that mean for you? Well, thank you for that that lovely compliment. That's very sweet. Thank you. Um, I think in response to that, the only 
the only thing that I can do, like the only superpower I have, if, if we all have some kind of a superpower, right? The only superpower is that I have a willingness to be vulnerable uh, in a way that scares the shit out of a lot of people. But I think that that brings us together and it certainly liberates me. And I hope that if it liberates me, then I believe it will do the same for others who are also like seeking relief, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole love the shit out of your life comes from this idea that um, we're, we're never going to change or grow from a place of shame in ourselves. There are, you know, the way I see it, there are really two ways to live life. You can live life uh, defensively or you can live life with a vulnerable heart, right? And when you live a life defensively as a reaction to pain and as a reaction to things that, that hurts you, you'll, you'll move forward, right? You'll get some fuel under you, you'll get some fire, but it's never going to lead to your healing and it's going to lead to disordered choices on top of band-aids, on top of disordered choices, on top of band-aids. And the next thing you know, like, what have you really built your yourself upon? Um, and loving the shit out of your life means that the only way I truly feel you're going to heal is if you love yourself or are willing to, even if you don't at the time you start, right? But if you are willing to have so much love for yourself that you are going to allow yourself to go there because you, you can't go there and look at your shit. Like you can't go there and look at uh, the, the way that you've stumbled or how you've participated in creating your own pain. Like you can't go there and find self-compassion and forgiveness if you're not willing to find love for you. Right. So the only way we're really, truly going to move forward from what hurts us is not from a place of shame uh, or not from a place of, of hiding, but it's a place of um, radical, radical self-love and radical, radical self-love is not always pretty. It's not always fun. It's not always beautiful, but it's the thing that serves our highest self. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, um, you know, it's a little cheeky, <laughs> you know, I'm a little irreverent, right? Love the shit out of your life. Love it. Love your life, man. You got fucking one life, right? Love it. Don't, don't, don't wait for perfection to love it. But it's the also, it's also the play on words and that, you know, you're only going to love the shit out of your life. You're not going to hate the shit out of your life. You're not going to shame the shit out of your life. You can just turn around and say, yo, all of this stuff is my shit. And the only way that I'm really going to move forward is if I have enough willingness to find love for myself that I can have compassion for who I am. I can hug myself through the quote unquote perceived mistakes that I've made. I can look at my path. I can look at the things that I'm scared of and I can, I can say, yes, you are beautiful and loving because of all of this. So that's how important. Yeah. Hallelujah. Like, but I feel like we need voices like you because the general society, we're not often getting that message, right? So if you're a larger woman, if you're an older woman, if, you know, like you're a single woman or you don't have children woman, you know, like a childless woman, like it's, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, those type of characteristics, especially like I really mostly identify with the larger woman is there's 
there's underlying pinpoints of shame on that all over the place. So if we don't have people like you and other leaders in this movement to be shouting from the rooftops, you know, a different message, then it's hard. It's hard to find that radical self-love. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we, we live in an entire society that exists because of the shame that we have, right? Like, like literally, how do we sell people things, right? We sell them mm-hmm. things on this idea that they need to be fixed, right? Or that we're broken or that we should be embarrassed of this and cover this up. And, I, you know, look, it all just comes from this super... Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Do you have an answer? 100%. Big cool. fit girl uncensored. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. It also comes from this really fucking stubborn idea that I bullishly have, which is that I just refuse to believe, just refuse to believe that any point in time in my life, I am beyond creating change. That's just it, mm. you know? Like, and I know that, that how I can create change now at walking into 42 is dramatically different than how I could have created change at 22, right? But the, the idea here is that, I mean, genuinely, until the day we die, until the day I die, every time I breathe, I can learn something new, right? If you are alive, if you are alive, you can create some sort of change. And again, like what, what that change is at 30 or 40 or 50 will be different than what it was at 20, right? But mm-hmm. we are ever evolving. That's the nature of life, right? And I just fucking refuse to be um, pigeonholed or, or put into a box by anybody else but me. And I feel that like there's just this lack of... Um, truthful inspiration for people who feel like they don't fit into the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of gray, like inspiration is not black and white. Leadership is not black and white. Different people will be inspired and motivated by different things, right? So mm-hmm. I know I'm kind of meandering a little, but like if you are over 35, if you are plus size, if you, you know, if you don't feel like you fit into this traditional picture of personal growth land, um, it, it feels really alienating when you're looking for something to identify with. There's just mm-hmm. not a lot out there, right? There's a lot about weight loss, but there's not a lot about how do I deal with sexual trauma or how do I overcome my own addictive um, uh, tendencies or how do I stop using a coping mechanism or what does codependency mean, right? We don't see a lot of marginalized bodies talking about personal growth. And we need to see that, right? So we need to see more women who don't, you know, quote unquote, fit the mold, more women of color, more women over 40, more, more women who are plus size, all talking about what that ability to regenerate and heal looks like. Because like I said, it, you know, I just refuse to believe until, until I'm dead, I can still grow and, and feel and evolve and change in some way. You know, I, I don't want somebody to turn around and tell me, um, okay, look, you've got three years left at 45. You're going to be exactly the same person for the rest of your life. And it's done. You're, you're not going to mm-hmm. grow. You're not going to evolve. Well, fuck that. Of course I am. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so yeah. um, you know, uh, 
give me some tools to help me do that. D does that address your question at all in any way? Yeah. Totally. So, but to me, you seem like a lifelong learner. So that's a, like a specific personality type, somebody that wants to continue the self-development, but also creating that you're creating the space for other women to do that. But it sounds like you have done an incredible amount of self-work yourself. So this isn't something that you've always thought or been. How did you arrive? Like, was there a pivotal point in your life where you're like, damn it, I need to hone down on some self-development? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I teach, one of the expressions that I use is this idea of soul archaeology, um, which is this expression that I've coined for... Uh, our ability to look at ourselves and the depth that we are able to look at ourselves. And, and basically what soul archaeology says is that we're only able to look as deep as we can go at any certain point in yeah. time. And how the more we grow, the deeper we can go, right? So think about like, you know, if you're excavating a dinosaur, right? And it's like fucking Jurassic Park. And you, you walk up to this fossil and you see like a little wing sticking out of the dirt and then you you know oh there's a wing I think I'll dig there and then you <laughs> dig a little and then the next thing you know you have an entire dinosaur arm and then you go oh I'll dig there right and you you get deeper and deeper and deeper that's how I believe personal growth works right so at any given time you're only able to see as deep as you've grown and processed up until then and things have to happen in order so for me uh the beginning of my my journey and my realization was when I was like 35, 36 years old and um, I was uh, uh, really heavy. Uh, and I don't, I mean, uh, numbers don't mean a single thing. So I'll just say I was so heavy that my left knee would buckle out when I was walking around. Like I could just fall down at any given time. And like the idea of walking across the street in New York City was just terrifying because I had no mm. idea how I would get off the sidewalk, you know, the six inch sidewalk and how I would make it across and how I would step up. Right. So I was really in a place where my body was limiting, but, um, but that didn't scare me as much as my emotional state mm -hmm. scared me. And like, I was 35, 36 and I just, I really just wanted love. Right. And I, and I wanted vacations and, and intimacy and I wasn't finding that I was getting laid, but I wasn't finding anything deeper. And I just said, I've got to be the common thread in all of this. So what, what, what's going on here? So the soul archaeology that I began with was just being in pain. I, I knew my life was in pain, and so I just had to make a change. So I started by removing my body physically from pain, and I stopped dating because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this great, so I should take a break here and, like, reassess things. And, oh, yeah, how about I just take my body out of this 911 stage so I basically don't die, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I remember I had a friend... Who I, a girlfriend who I shared a hotel room with once and she didn't sleep at night and she told me that she spent the entire night awake listening to me breathe and waiting for me to stop breathing because the, the, the spaces in my breath with sleep apnea was so bad she was like I, I swore that I was going to call your mother and tell her you were dead in the morning like I just it was I was scared um, so I started by just taking myself out of pain and by my initial weight loss and my initial strength gain and by stopping dating that opened up the door for me to dig deeper so i would say for around the first two years of my personal growth what i was really focused on was physical growth and, and physical 
changes. Uh, when I look back, like in sort of 2017, when, when we worked together, when I was really like in, in peak fitness and peak shape, I was also in like peak codependency <laughs> with mm. a with a former primary partner. Um, so although I, I physically was feeling great and strong and I could, you know, walk six flights of steps in less than 50 seconds holding 50 pound weights, I was deeply enmeshed in a codependent relationship. Um, so I think there just became a certain point in time where this little voice in me said, I, I think that there's something else here. And I just gave my self permission to look there. And in 2019, in, in last January, my former primary partner and I um, parted ways. And the this sort of removal of that relationship really opened up a floodgate for me to see all of my trauma and all of my pain. Um, and really to start to mine that in such a, a way that my entire life changed. Like it just felt like everything crumbled out from underneath me because my entire um, value system changed. Uh, the more I started to realize that I, I literally was codependent on everything, partners, how people thought of me on social media, my work, my parents, the more I realized that, the the more I saw, yo, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I've literally spent my entire life without a shred of my own self-worth. And, and mm. when you start to see those things, like really see them, you have such an opportunity for healing. And, and it's fucking weird, man. It, it hurts and it's scary. And you're like, holy shit, how have I spent my literal entire life um, without my own sense of self-worth like i have gone my entire life with my perception of self coming from what other people have have told me either consciously or subconsciously or with words or with actions um yeah i don't know that How i about that for a sec um because i think there's some people that are listening that are like what is codependency like can you yeah. give us a brief overview sure. on yeah, so let me just caveat by saying I'm not a therapist. So everything you're going to hear me talk about comes from the Sarah's experience and growth. Mm -hmm. and, and blessed, there are so many people out there who are better trained to talk to you about things than me. So I'll just tell you how it relates to me. Uh, codependency is, is basically when you self-abandon regularly um, and your relationship with another person is defined by your self-abandoning yourself. And when you self-abandon, it means that in real time, you are uh, uh, turning a back on, walking away from, or neglecting a need that you have either consciously or subconsciously. So when you are in a codependent relationship with somebody, it is when your need for them trumps your need for yourself. And in mm. layman's terms, that means when you, when you basically put your relationship with somebody else over the relationship that you have with yourself, and you define your sense of self completely from what you get from that relationship as opposed to you, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and at the heart of, of that idea, and at the heart of so much of all of this, is this tenant of self-abandonment, um, which again is, is a massively key idea in, in self-love and personal growth. And when, when I use the term self-abandonment with people, they're like, oh, I don't do that. And then I'm like, mm, really? And then I just sort of walk through examples of that and they're like, fuck, man, I do that. And I just realized that I, I spent my entire adult life self-abandoning myself for whatever reason. I, 
I self-abandoned, you know, my own self-care. I self-abandoned in personal relationships. I self-abandoned by, uh, by, you know, neglecting my own body, by neglecting my finances, by, um, you know, putting myself in, in relationships with men, you know, who, who genuinely were not valuing me, but I needed them to value me in order for mm-hmm. me to feel whole. I mean, like, literally, when you, when you look back, and this is why you need self-love, right? When you look mm-hmm. back at the list of shit, and I say this with nothing but love because we all have shit, right? <laughs> yeah. You look at, like, this Santa's list of shit that you've done your entire <laughs> yeah. life, and you're like, and, like, you literally, it's like a piece of paper, and it's like, boop, and it just rolls out in front of you. <laughs> you're like, fuck, this yeah. is life. Now I have two choices. I can be really ashamed of this life and I can move forward and cloak myself and hide myself based on this shame or I can choose to find love and compassion and forgiveness mm-hmm. myself and now I can move forward with a whole and open heart. And that's what I mean when I say love the shit out of your life, right? Like you, you mm-hmm. got your choice in that pivotal moment. And I remember for me <clears throat> very, very, very clearly the moment that I surrendered to that, that love for all my missteps, I was literally sitting at the desk that I'm sitting at right now. And I've been, I've been noodling and knurling while I was writing my book and working through all this shit. And I have this amazing um, friend who's so fucking smart and, and British. And he called me and he said, well, Sarah, have you thought to forgive yourself yet? I'm just wondering, have you done that? (laughs) I'm like, uh, no. And he's like, well, maybe now would be a good time. Don't you think? I was like, fuck you. So I hung up the phone and I sat there and I just wrote and for like hours, just tears Mm. poured down my face. And I was like, I forgive you for this. I love you for this. I, I see you for this. And, and like at the end I just exhaled and I'm like, okay. And now I move forward. Right. It was just, I mean, but that, but that, but that's what love the shit out of your life means, you know, it means yeah. into it. Yeah. So when you say that, like, it just sounds so kind of flippant, like love the shit out of your life. But when you talk about it in such an in-depth way, I mean, you're talking about all facets, like right drilling down into all oh, areas. Yeah. yeah. You know, again, what I find- oh, I'm sorry. The good, th- the, the great thing about teachings, right. Is that if you position it in such a way people will come to the table how they're able to, right? So Mm -hmm. somebody who's at an earlier process in their journey will hear a love the shit out of their life and they'll take it in a, on a very, I'm not going to say surface level because that implies not helpful, but they'll take it one level. It'll be a battle cry. And somebody who's really walking in the shit will take that an entirely different level. Right. And and people come to the table, however they need to come to the table in order for it to make sense for them. Yeah. And the way you speak about this to your own personal story, like the way you articulate it, Sarah, is incredible. You, I'm so happy that you're doing this work because I think for a lot of people, and I've worked with many women of the same kind of, you know, things that they need to forgive themselves for, um, that just can't, unless somebody articulates it for them in such a way, 
they can't see, see it. Like, I don't think a lot of people are walking around with, um, I've self-abandoned myself, like no. <laughs> knowing that knowledge, like, but until somebody says it to them and gives them examples in, w- in ways that they have in their own personal story, not like you did this and you did this, where it's like a person, then it's like, wait a second. Like, even when you were just saying that, like the finances and I was like, whoa, like, yeah. You know, like it when somebody else can articulate such a deep expression as you do, it, it's immensely helpful. Like the work you're doing is incredible. I have to say that. I appreciate that. Like, listen, that's that's genuinely what I feel. The only thing I can do is right. I'm I'm not a therapist, and I and I'm not this trained super uh, super you know bookie PhD. Uh, my 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 boyfriend tells me this story about his. Um, Italian grandmother who used to say something like everybody has a superpower and mm. it's up to you to figure out what your superpower is and, and everybody's superpower mm. is different some somebody's superpower could be baking somebody's could be resilient somebody's could be writing right everybody has a different superpower it's just a question of if you're willing to see it and mm-hmm. you know I hate that word but I kind of like I'm willing to roll with it um, but yeah I think my superpower is just that I'm willing to talk about things that are hard in a way mm-hmm. that that makes it accessible for other people to say, oh, wait, I get that. I do that. Yeah. I do that. And then just like, and then, and then like you've just planted a little seed, right? Yeah. Like you've just planted a little seed. And if all I can do is get you to come to the table by planting a seed, cool. You know, then yeah. go find, a, find somebody else who's far more trained than me to take you the depth. But if all I do is get you to come to the table because I say something in a way that makes it feel accessible for you. Awesome. We've we've done it. What's ironic about what you're saying um, is that so much of us have fear of abandonment, but at the same time we're self-abandoning. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. The fear of abandonment uh, 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 is like radiates from our own self-abandonment. Right. Um, and, and we perpetuate that which is comfortable for us. Right. And that which was taught to us by our parents, either consciously or subconsciously, you know, mm. I mean, I had so much, uh, shit with, with my dad, who's a, a loving man, but was not super, super active in my life. And, and yet I dropped the ball on my own, uh, bargain, I, I'm not bargaining. I dropped my the ball on my own agreements with myself more than anybody else could, right? Um, and, and something as simple as, uh, do I do the laundry when I say I'm going to do the laundry? Do I, do I go to bed when my body feels tired or do I make myself stay up, right? Like in real time, do I identify either consciously or subconsciously, a need that I have? And do I serve it? Or do I choose to shelf it for whatever reason? Do I choose to shelf my need because it makes somebody else feel more comfortable? Do I choose to shelf parts of my personality because I don't want to be disliked for them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, like if you're dating someone, for example, and you're a big opera nerd like I am, but this person only likes country music and you never fucking play opera because you're afraid that they're not going to like you and you start to miss it, but you, you throw it away because this person thinks it's stupid. Yeah. That's a tiny little way to self-abandon. Right. But the thing is, if you, if you, if you do it enough, 
right? If you put enough of those little self-abandoned cracks in, then doing that just becomes your norm. And we become so good at self-abandoning that that becomes our default. And so starting to do something different just feels so weird. I mean, and and that's one of the reasons that I share with people now, like, listen, if you really want to heal, you have to start by building trust in yourself. And even Mm -hmm. if that trust is as simple as I always do the dishes before I go to bed at night, if you just keep that promise to yourself for one month, you will make space for another promise and you will lay the foundation for another promise, right? It's Mm -hmm. a whole cyclical cycle. And, and I always tell people or I tell myself, like, I am so less scared of what other people have done to me at this point in time in my life than I am of what I have done to myself. Mm-hmm. And I say that with love, right? And, and yes, people have absolutely hurt me um, or, or done icky things, like not nice things. But, you know, I'm more scared of the quote unquote damage that I can do to myself than I am to what somebody else can do to me. Mm-hmm. That just got really deep, super fast. Sorry to people who have no idea who I am, but yes, that's, that's kind no, of, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I think everybody, the thing about a podcast is you can listen to this in private and just be like, you know, like this, this, I love it, every bit of it, because this whole, my brand, your brand, it's all about self-development, self-love, kicking ass at every size. And this is a good um, segue here, because on your website, you say um, you have three beliefs, things Uh that you strongly believe in. One, at every age, weight, and stage in life, every person deserves joy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So two, you can do the work and heal what hurts you. So I, I think that's a, a pretty strong statement too, because I think a lot of people think, you know, I've been told by my therapist, you know, you're really in victim mentality right now where I'm just like, um, and I think that we can take ownership and be like, you know what, that was a shitty thing that happened or that was very painful, but I don't have to sit in this. I can move, I can move through this yeah. at any time. Well, yeah. And listen, um, I think when people get scared of the work that women like you and I do, it's because they're not willing to make that switch from victim mentality, um, from reactive life into proactive life, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Listen, um, what I say jokingly is that I don't give a shit who you are. I don't give a shit how old you are, what color you are, how much you weigh. If you are ready to take ownership of your life, you know, I want you at my table, right? Um, And that doesn't mean that it's your fault. That doesn't mean that it's your fault that you deserve what somebody did to you. But it does mean you are either in the driver's seat or the passenger Mm -hmm. seat of how you choose to experience your life. That's Mm -hmm. it. And um, if you live your life in victim mentality, believing that things are happening to you, and you are powerless, then you will, then that will be your life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, you have an opportunity to switch from this reactive fear-based way of experiencing your life to a loving-based way. And if people don't really know what I'm talking about, I have a wonderful, wonderful book to recommend for you. Um, it's called Life Visioning by Michael Bernard Beckwith, who is um, the head of uh, Agape. And he has a wonderful, wonderful book about 
that makes it really accessible for people to understand the stages of growth and uh, what what victim mentality is. Because when you say victim mentality, um, I, I, people tend to get a little defensive. Like, oh, it's yeah. my fault that somebody hurt me. It's my fault that mm-hmm. he or he left me. Well, no, these things are not your fault. So let's just remove that idea right now. It is not your fault that painful things have happened to you in your life, but you do have an opportunity to sit in a place of love and say, how have I co-contributed to the experience that I'm having around this hurt and pain? Or how have I co-contributed to this relationship which left the door open for somebody to hurt me, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's hard because it, you know, we don't want to be responsible for this shit. We don't want to say that I, t- that I am to some degree owning of the the boyfriend that you know uh, sexually and emotionally abused me in college, right? Like we don't want to see these things, but again, it, it it when we see them and we see them from a place of love and acceptance. And, and like brutal honesty, we can change how much they weigh. So these things don't, we don't carry them. We observe them. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yes. 100%. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have kind of shifted out of this victim mentality myself in the last couple of years where I was just broken and, you know, due to the end of a very long-term relationship and just so broken and so like, why is this happening to me? And, um, you know, that that's okay. I think for a period of time, there's a grieving process, but I think that there comes a time where if that becomes your life story, then, then I am choosing to be the victim and I am choosing to kind of sit in that and, and, and it became disempowering to me. Yeah. I mean, look, feelings are important. They are absolutely important. If we don't feel, then we'll never work through what we feel. And especially when we're talking about grief, right? There cannot be shame around how we need to feel and and process the stuff that happens to us. Um, But the key in the long run is to observe feeling and to feel feeling, but then to decide how you want to feel, right? Mm -hmm. And the Pima Chodron quote that I really like is that um, we are the sky and everything else is just the weather. So mm-hmm. our perception and sense of self stands, stands in, in it's the blue sky. It's there no matter what, but the sky is there no matter what. What comes and goes are the clouds. What mm-hmm. comes and goes are the, is the lightning and the rain and that sky fucking stays there right? Mm-hmm. We, we rotate the sun, the moon, whatever, fucking eclipses. Um, <laughs> you know, how we develop this sense of forgiveness and acceptance and awareness in self as we are so that all the weather can come, all the feelings can come, tornadoes can come, shit can come. And, and we know that at the end of the day, we'll still be okay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I can feel pain, and be perfectly okay. And it's this other idea. I started doing like a little bit more reading about Buddhist teachings this year because I was like really radiating in it um, in the past year and a half. But it's this idea that we believe as humans that we are deserving and promised a pain-free life. 
Mm. And when we go through life thinking that we're owed and promised and deserving a pain-free life, then we get pissed off when we feel pain. And the reality is, is that none of us are fucking deserving and owing and promised a pain-free life. As long mm-hmm. as we're alive, we're promised life and we're promised an opportunity and we're promised a chance. Once we accept and realize that pain and suffering is literally an inevitable part of life because life equals growth and growth requires death, you can't grow without something else dying, right? So once we realize that pain uh, is literally a given in our life if we are showing up for it and growing, then it just becomes a little easier to say, oh, okay, man, this hurts. But this is just part of the process. This is not me. This is yeah. yeah. And I think also we're a society that doesn't want to experience pain. Like it was oh. like, come on, just be positive. Like there's this oh, yeah. like oh, kind of toxic positivity. Toxic positivity. And we teach, like we literally give people and sell people everything possible to avoid natural coping mechanism, food, sex, shopping, video games, working out, right? Like the distraction from pain is, is like um, everything that our socioeconomic system is based on. Mm-hmm. So the key is not to distract yourself from pain. The key is to stay in pain so that you can process it and be in charge of it and not have it be in charge of you. Mm-hmm. For sure. I sound super woo-woo. Yeah. No, I love it. So... <laughs> I see that you are dating. Yes, man candy. Man candy. Yeah, I don't feel like sharing his name on the internet, so he's he's man candy and he likes it. I get women who are like, isn't that insulting? And I'm like, dude's 49 years old. He loves the fact that I call him man candy. Shush. He likes it. Yeah. So how is this dating experience for you now? Like, how is it different than it was before? Oh, man. Uh, You know, there's a, a guy out there uh, who's a therapist and his name is John Kim. And he, he said something once that, that radiated for me massively. And he said, dating is not about finding the one, it's about finding yourself. And when, like my whole life, I think I've dated with ego, meaning I've dated with partners whose presence I use to define my own self-worth right? So like, if, if this guy likes me, then I am sexy. If this guy likes me, then I am valuable, right? I have dated as an extension of giving myself meaning. Um, this go around when I started to date, I decided to do things differently. And I said, okay, every, everything that happens in a, in a dating context is an opportunity for me to learn something new about myself. It's an opportunity for me to test something that I think I know is true. And it's an opportunity for me to show up as me and not as this person needs me to be or not as who I think I need to be for somebody else, but it's an opportunity to date me and learn about myself in the context of this relationship I have with somebody else. So right from the beginning, I made conscious choices to specifically do certain things that I knew would honor me. For example, I used to be the girl, no matter where we were going, no matter if we were going for pancakes, 
for breakfast at eight o'clock in the morning, I showed up in a bodycon dress, spangs, cowboy boots, and big hair. Like literally we could be meeting for Starbucks and I looked like fat Dolly Parton, right? <laughs> I, I had this armor and mask that I mm. had to show up as in order for you to find me attractive, right? Um, and right from the beginning, when I started dating Man Candy, I showed up much more simply um, in how I physically presented myself. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember on our third date was I invited him over and I made a conscious choice to wear a sweatshirt and literally no makeup. And I'm like, okay, well, if a man is going to be in my life, then he's going to know that this is how I spend the majority of my time. Mm -hmm. So he's either going to be cool with it or not. And if he's not cool with showing up at my house and I'm wearing jeans and I'm barefoot and I got my hair in a bun and no makeup on, then he's not the kind of dude for me. Right. So I literally just used this dating situation as a chance to continually build trust in myself as opposed to self-abandon. Right. Mm. Um, and so because of that, I believe I'm finding a more vulnerable, honest connection because I am living a more vulnerable, honest connection with myself. So that is being mirrored in the relationship that I have with my boyfriend. Um, because if it wasn't that case, then I wouldn't be with him. Like it, it, the level that you, the level of how you treat and honor yourself will be mirrored in the level that your partners treat and honor you. So if you mm -hmm. are self-abandoning for yourself, your partners will probably participate in this process because mm -hmm. that's what you consciously teach them. If you are showing up for you with vulnerability and honesty, then you are giving somebody else a chance to meet you in that place. And then that's how they show up. Or they don't. But at that point in time, you're so connected to self that you're okay if somebody who's not meeting you at that level isn't around. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yes, totally. Entirely, entirely different dating process. Like, um, I absolutely love dating Man Candy, and um, I want to be closer to him, and I want to spend time with him. Um, but if we didn't date, I would, be, I would be sad, but I wouldn't crumble, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I want to spend time with him. I, I want to share with him. I want to experience friendship with him, but I'm not scared of what it makes me if he's not around. Right. Cause you're the sky. Yeah. 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 And, and they're the weather, you know? Um, and you know, I, like I remember, I remember, um, in, in, in previous relationships, like this feeling of, of anxious, um, crumbling and pulling, and and just raw pain when I wasn't getting from my partner what I needed in yeah. order to feel good. I have this very specific memory uh, of of the first time I ever drank tequila by myself because I'm not a big drinker, right? The first time I ever drank tequila by myself, sitting on the floor of my closet. Uh, when I was going through something with my former primary partner and, and I wasn't getting from him what I needed. And I literally like had three or four shots of tequila and like ended up like laying down on the floor of my closet. And like, I could feel my heart pumping through my mm. chest and I could feel this, this hot pain and hot energy just sweeping over me because I was so 
tied into getting what I needed and what it, fuck what it felt like and the dis-ease I was feeling because I, I couldn't feel me. I just felt longing. Now that's not mm. passion. That's, that's not passion. That's dramatic codependency. I mean, dramatic, dramatic codependency. Um, but also that's probably old, like that's nothing to do with that particular partner. That's probably an old story. It's, it's. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, you know, listen, but that's, but when you don't heal your shit, right? Yeah. Your relationships are vehicles for your trauma and you will mm-hmm. continue to, um, you will continue to repeat your stories again and again and again and again until you work through them. Right. Like yeah. there's no doubt in my mind that for whatever you know, from the time that I was a teenager and dating until the time that I was 39, every relationship with every man that I ever engaged with was the exact same relationship again and again and again. And this former primary partner I had when we, we parted, he was the culmination of all of those uh, uh, trauma bonds. You know, he's the twin flame, the, the mirror for all of that. Now, and when you start to heal yourself, the, the relationships that you had been in don't, don't make sense anymore because your sense of self doesn't, doesn't meet that, right? It's changed and evolved. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't about him, but he was a vehicle for that, right? right. Just like man candy is a vehicle for me now in, in my process, um, it was a different vehicle. And, and, you know, A Course of Miracles, I'm not a big student of it, but A Course of Miracles tells us that relationships are the greatest containers for our growth, right? Mm-hmm. All relationships, personal relationships, friendships, parentals, work relationships. Yeah. Relationships are, are our opportunities to either repeat our patterns or heal our traumas. That's it. And the more, the, the closer you are with somebody, the greater that opportunity for either uh, trauma repetition or personal healing is. Mm-hmm. Love it. I saw on Instagram a picture of you in high school where you're cheerleading. Yeah. <laughs> I love that picture. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, when she saw but- it all the way. Yeah, because yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that we're talking about really starts to cultivate in our childhood and our adolescence, right? Like this stuff is like, it's built in the beginning. And in that beautiful picture of yourself, you say, by the time this picture had been taken, you'd already been to fat camp several times, been on Weight Watchers a few times since you were considered a youth in a teenage jazzercise weight loss program. You'd also been hypnotized for weight loss, eating cabbage soup, and put metal balls behind your ears to remove hunger. I've never heard of that one. That's interesting. Um, And you say, I don't know about you, but I look pretty normal to me. Hmm. So you, you go on to say my point, when I look at this picture now, I see a happy, energetic, thicker teenager girl, teenage girl who went to dance aerobic classes and held her own just fine. Back then, body positivity wasn't a thing. A size 14 or 16 was barely spoken about and totally unseen in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. So I talked to many, many women about childhood dieting and adolescent dieting that has been brought about, brought to them by a parent or, you know, like a you know, a concerned adult. How did this come about for you, all these weight loss attempts at that age? Um, listen, I have an absolutely amazing mother. Um, love her to pieces. My mother has always struggled with her body image. Um, and uh-huh. my mother's never been very heavy. 
um, you know, she probably vacillated between, you know, between a size 10 and a size 18, you know, her entire life, right? Mm-hmm. But my mother comes from a different time period where weight meant something different and um, where socially it meant something different. So there's no doubt that my mother's perception of herself and her weight impacted how she taught me about mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, by the way, that there will be a book that comes from this one day, right? Um, yeah. You know, things my mother told me about my body. <laughs> right? Yeah. Things my mother told me about my weight. Um, you know, I mean, listen, when, when you're seven, eight, nine years old, you don't know shit about yourself. You're just trying to be a kid, right? And, and you get all these messages from people and, and they're conscious and subconscious. And, and yeah, there, there's no doubt in my mind that as a teenager, um, I heard more times than I want to count. If you don't lose the weight now, you'll never lose it, or it'll be easier now to lose it than when you're older. And yeah, um, I was at Weight Watchers before I was old enough to be a youth, coloring in those little blips for milk and starch and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my mom did Optifast. Uh, I did not. Uh, But in my house, it it was a lot of diet culture. There was a lot of how can we fix ourselves? How can mm-hmm. you fix yourself? Um, and I don't, I don't genuinely think my mother ever had any ill intention. I think she wanted to, to make things easier for me than she felt they were for her, right? Um, her unhealed stuff with her mom and her body and, and being, you know, a bridge-sized teenager and, and how did that impact her and how did that impact her dating and her, all of that was just passed along to me. But like, you know, I, th- I think... I think every kid just wants to feel normal, mm-hmm. whatever that is. They want to feel accepted. They want to feel good as they are. And they want to feel skilled. They want to feel talented. They want to feel valuable as they are. And I just think that I learned subconsciously really on in life that um, the way for me to be valuable was for me to be different mm-hmm. uh, in my body. Um, you know, and I remember like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a very stubborn, strong, bullish individual. And, and I just showed up in, you know, at this fucking hypnotizing place that wasn't my idea. And the, the guy was like, you're on a cloud and you're, you know, who's on the cloud with your pain? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? <laughs> like, and I remember getting out of the hypnotizing room and I just gave my mother the middle finger and I walked away and she just started nervously laughing. Cause like she knew that was bullshit, you know? Um, yeah, listen, there's no doubt in my, my mind that my sense of um, identification and worth in my body started as a teenager. And when I look at myself as a teenager, you know, weight-wise, I was probably somewhere between 170 and 190 pounds. You know, was I skinny? No. <laughs> I was active. I was always active. And had had I spent more time getting good at the things that I was good at instead of trying to fix what my quote-unquote shortcomings were, it probably would have changed my self-esteem a lot. And I think mm. about, um, I think about young people now and I think about the, you know, social justice movements that come with this size. And I think about um, how lucky young people are right now. A couple of years ago when Lizzo was on the MTV Awards, I just cried. I just mm-hmm. cried. I said, 
God, how would Sarah have felt if she had seen Lizzo when she was 10, 12, 13? Like, I don't, I don't think people realize how far we've gone. We've come in one generation. Um, It's such a beautiful thing. But then I also look back at myself with such sadness and I think how, what other things could I have done if I wasn't so busy subconsciously thinking about how I wasn't good enough? Oh, that hurts. I think that, you know, I've heard countless times about clients being put on diets as children, like sometimes really, really young, like And I think it's really important. And a lot of people preface their conversation with my mom was doing the best that she could with the tools that she had, because let's face it, we're all living in the same world, right? Like our, our role models are feeling the pressures of society. So what's really difficult about that relationship is that it does send a message to the child that they're not good enough in, in a, in a way that their appearance isn't good enough or they're not valuable enough. And I don't think that that's the intent. I think exactly what you said is they're trying to not put you out into this cruel world in a body that they feel isn't going to serve you, but, I think it just does so much damage um, sending a child a message of like, you know, you must conform in order to feel okay in this world. And so we get that message in the home and then we go out into society and it's backed up everywhere. Right. So, you know, I think a lot of us feel like my mom must be right. Or my, you know, my coach must be right because look, it's everywhere. Listen, I I think that, that the, the, the greatest opportunity we have is just to heal a little bit of the intergenerational trauma between our parents and ourselves. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is heal one step. Um, I'd, I'd love to tell you a story. Is that okay if I share a story with you? Yes, please. Um, the, the way I feel it is that, cool, you know, it's just my job to heal myself a little bit more and to heal, heal the, some of the trauma that exists between my, my mom and me so that whatever generation comes after me. And obviously at at 41, I haven't had my own child, but whatever people I teach can benefit from that healing. Um, This past year in September, 2019, I ran my third live event and this one was in Brooklyn. Um, And my mom lives in Brooklyn. So she was present and she was there and it was a really gorgeous, gorgeous live event. I mean, it was fucking, it was just, it got real, you know, Mm. Um, my mom, uh, became sort of like the event mother and everybody she was super present and hugging everybody and crying and like she was all into it um, and at the end of the event uh, I did this this thing where um, I stood on the stage and I played music and I you know played Taylor Swift and whatever and I held out the microphone for people and anybody who wanted to could come on stage take the microphone and and shout their affirmation and we wrote these affirmations earlier in the um in the day based after two days of growth work and i am something i am brave i am willing i am whatever right We, we wrote our i am statements 
and people took to the stage and it was fucking great, right? Um, I, I held the stage and I'm sitting here crying because I'm like, this is exactly what I wanna be doing. I wanna be passing the mic to other women. So I'm crying and they're crying and they, everybody's getting up on stage like, like they're fucking superstars and, and all this confidence and this beautiful shit and they're taking the mic and they're screaming, I am blah, and everybody's cheering, ah! And then, and then it, it's over and, and my mom is there and I, and, and I go, mom mom it's your turn mom and she's sitting on the side side of the stage and she just starts crying and she's like I can't I can't I can't I'm like it's okay mom yes you can do this mom I'll, I'll walk you through it and I said and she just said I'm so proud of you sweetheart I'm so proud of you and I was like mom this is not about me right now this is about you literally in front of hundred something people. Mom, this is not about me, this is about you. And she goes, well, sometimes I don't know where you, where you end and I begin or where I begin and you end. And I'm like, okay, mom, well, that's therapy for another day. That's called a <laughs> Right now, I just wanna hear you, this is you. Can, can you say your I am? And she just started crying. And she shook her head and was like, when, when was like, no, you know, she's like, no, you know, ah, tears in her face. No. And I'm like, can you do your I am mom? And she's like, no. And, and, and I'm holding the microphone to her and, and everybody's just silent, right? Watching. And I said, I said, how about this mom? Can you, can you just say, I am Lori? And she said, oh, okay. And she said, I am Lori, like really quiet. And I said, nope, nope, it's gonna be louder, mom. And she took the phone, the microphone and she took it from me and she threw her head back and she screamed, I am Lori. And everybody in the audience just started cheering. And I wrote, and that's how we start to heal generational trauma. That's mm -hmm. how we grow by, by embracing and not getting angry or not feeling ashamed of, of what we were taught, by, but by embracing it and loving into it. And I thought that'll be the proudest moment of my entire life, that I could turn around and for that two minutes, my mother didn't feel the shame of her body and her life. She was just there, right? And, and that's healing. And, and as children and as daughters, whether or not you're raising a child, that's the opportunity that we have to, to, to hear our mothers or our mother figures and to see how we were shaped by their pain and to understand that, that everybody parents and passes on what they learn, good, bad, pain, not pain, trauma, not trauma, and to love into it and to love this shit out of that life and to say, how can I heal it just this bit so that whoever comes after me can can be more healed when when they begin does that make sense like how yeah. do we heal by generational steps yeah that's so cool and i really think a lot of people that are listening are going to re relate to that so much um and i think it's really important for people to understand that you are a product of what our parents have gone through um, because I, th I see a lot of resentment and hurt and damaged relationships. And I think that we, if, if we could cloak that with some compassion about, you know, that that's their pain too. Yeah. I mean, listen, our parents are not perfect and, no. and do they do things that hurt us sometimes? Absolutely. Are there some people who hurt people on purpose? Sure. Right. Um, 
is there a good chance that your parent was making the best call that they could make at that exact time? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, are there elements that we will never know of our parents' pain and how that impacted us? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, I'm not saying it's not okay to be angry at how people have hurt you or how your parents have hurt you um, or to grieve that. Or, and I'm not saying that, that if your parents have hurt you, that was okay, right? Because mm-hmm. you deserve that. But again, how do you make that shift from, from victim mindset and I am the victim of my parents' pain to I am compassionate to my parents' pain and how that impacted me and this is how I choose to experience it. Yeah. So you're writing a book. That that is such a huge, you know, like, it's so funny when you go buy a book, right? It's like, oh, this book looks good. I'll get this. I had no idea what was what goes into a book. Like it's in it's insane. It's, it's a very big labor of love. Um, Right now, the working title is life love, but that's just a working title at this time 40 plus size and healing. Can you tell us a bit about this? Yeah, thank you for asking me. Um, writing a book, man, that'll fuck you up and heal you. <laughs> you um, you know, listen, the idea of writing a memoir or writing a book, like some people do it towards the, the end point in their life when they want to look back. Some, some people like me write it in real time. So you're writing your past and you're writing your current healing at the same time. Um, yes, the, the book that I'm working on is a self-help memoir that really talks about with, with vulnerability, um, personal growth, self-worth, sexuality, food, and the intersection of all of that. Um, and, but what I really want to do is talk about healing and personal development in my body and in my perspective. Because, you know, what I've told you before is that I think we have a lot of examples of healing out there where the person who's doing the teaching and the sharing, they all look a certain way. They're relatively young, they're attractive, they're slender. Uh, and, and so subconsciously, it may be hard for some people to identify with that. Like, I don't have a problem with teachers out there, but at some point in time, I'm like, y'all don't tell me that the only way I can participate in growth is to be exactly like you, is to, is to look like that. Like, I just want um, somebody to walk into Barnes and Nobles or to, to go through Amazon and see a face that looks like theirs and, and, and read a book jacket and be like, holy shit, I, I recognize mm-hmm. that person. That person is, is me. Mm-hmm. 67% of women in this country are, are considered plus size. You know, 38% are over 35. And how do we give those women a voice for healing? Like the only way to participate in healing is not to be slender and young and beautiful, right? Like mm-hmm. healing is accessible to all of us. So yeah, I mean, listen, it, it, I read once that somebody said, don't write a memoir unless you are prepared to mine your own pain. So I think about it like putting on my little pith helmet, right? Like like in Tomb Raider with my little grape <laughs> on it and like a little chisel and just going and, and chiseling away at all of the shit that, that got me to where I am. Um, and I'm working with an editor right now to help take it from just story to story and prescription so that somebody who's reading um, will have 
journaling exercises and we'll, we'll, we'll learn and, and get, get prompts to say, okay, this was Sarah's story. How do I apply that to me? This is her experience. What do I take from this? Because the idea is exactly what you've been saying the whole time. Um, we tell our story so that it leaves space for other people mm. to have their experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all I can do. Um, and that's what I, what I really hope to do. And um, I'm scared. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm ready. But at the end of the day, I think that like, this is what I'm meant to be doing. I, I genuinely yeah. do. When I think about all the different ways that I've, I've felt I had to serve in order to show up, um, you know, like when I first started doing my work, I felt like I had to be fat Gabby Bernstein in order to be valuable to people, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I felt like I had to be all of these <laughs> things, right? And my self-worth was dependent on if you saw me as being valuable. And and when I started to strip all that away, I was like, no, you're, you're, you don't have to be this person and that person. You just have to be you and, and you just being you will make it safe for somebody else. And I just think that at the end of the day, like writing a book or sharing vulnerably or being a conduit for conversation is about the only thing that I can do in life. Like that's, that's what I'm meant to do. Um, and writing that's, a book is the most vulnerable and raw form of doing it, I think. It's definitely your gift. It's definitely your gift to do these live events and share yourself and write a book. And I, you know, I can speak from experience. Writing a book creates a global platform, right? You can reach people all over the place. But I also know that it's, it's difficult to get publishing and it's expensive to self-publish. So I understand that there is a GoFundMe. Is that the right, correct oh, platform? Is. Yes, thank you so much. So listen, you know, you have a choice. Do you want to self-publish or do you want to go with the publishing house? Mm -hmm. um, I am making a decision to go with the publishing house because um, I would like the credibility that comes with being a thought leader and a teacher when you publish a book through a, a major house. You know, uh, unless you're like, you know, Dan Brown or whoever, you don't really make money from your book. You certainly don't mm -hmm. make money from your first book. And that's not why I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book so that it helps get me a seat at the table where I can create conversation on a bigger level. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so right now um, I have a GoFundMe just to help with a developmental editor. Um, it's editing is expensive and, you know, professionals are expensive. Um, and I have it linked on my social media. Um, and my hope is that, you know, by this fall, I'll have a book proposal floating around. And I've been told that I'm a really strong candidate for having a book given the narrative and um, the platform that I have and the network of awesome people like mm -hmm. you allow me into your life, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and you know, the idea is having a kick-ass book proposal uh, because it's really about getting a seat at the table. Because the way I see it, if I can get a seat at the table, we have a seat at the table. Yeah. And I think that, that I'm really comfortable walking into traditional spaces where I am labeled or prejudged and then opening it up does that make sense like yeah. walking into an industry or a space or an event where i am the token whatever and people are, are kind of have their predispositions about who i am and then and then i get to reveal the humanity that brings us all together and then suddenly we're all on a more even playing field and if i can do that then i think that paves way for other people 
hundred percent. That's what I'm trying to do with this book. Yeah, for sure. So we'll put the uh, GoFundMe link into the show notes of this. I think this is such an incredibly important project. I think that the work that you're doing is profoundly helping women who are often kind of sidelined in many areas, profoundly helping women change anyone that identifies as a woman or, you know, even men, I'm sure you're helping. I'm sure you've got some male followers out there that really just want to hear the real talk. Um, And I'm just really grateful that we had to, that we had the opportunity to sit down today. I I don't think I've talked to you since I was in Las Vegas at your event. Yeah. And can you let me know, like what's happening with your events with this COVID situation? So um, in 2019, by the end of the year, I was burnt out. (laughs) So you'll laugh at this. But uh, by the end of 2019, I had, in, the, in one year, I had engaged in major, major trauma healing work. Uh, I had written a book and I had run an event and, and fundraised for it all by myself. Mm-hmm. And a normal person, like a sane person, would do one of those things at a time, but I'm not. Yeah. I do it all at the same time. So by the time the end of the year came around, man, I was just fucking burnt out. Um, and I needed a break. And so I was, I decided to take 2020 off from running live events. And as that decision happened, it turned out to be a good thing because, mm-hmm. you know, of everything that's going on. Um, recently, people started asking me, we'll do something digital. We'll do something digital. Um, and so I have decided to do something digital. That's going to be this October. Um, and it will be two days and it will be really, 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 really cheap, like really cheap. Like I will probably do some tickets that are completely free and I will do some that have an upgrade to them. Um, because I think that there is a massive, massive need for, people to, uh, refine love right now. And, Mm. um, life, love digital, I'm compiling everything sort of as we're going right now, it will be in mid October, but the, but the theme I'm running to with that is, um, reset, recenter and return to self love and the self is in parentheses. Right. And Mm. in the middle of all of this chaos and all of this all of this shit that so many of us are just globally feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm certainly not trying to positively wash any of that. Right. But in the middle of that, how do we find love for ourselves? Mm -hmm. How do we refine that? So um, I'll be doing that uh, this year. And, you know, moving forward with events, I love events. I fucking love them. They are so expensive and they are so much work. And until I have a team of people who can help me raise money and help me do things like it's, it's just too much for one person to do. And most people don't realize that at my events, I'm literally, I raise all the money. I do all the graphic design. Like I am the fucking crazy person behind it. So, you know, hopefully by 2021, um, I'll be able to do stuff with, with a book and teaching. But, you know, right now I'm really just trying to, I'm trying not to expectation and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be peaceful right now. Um, Listen, everything that's going on with, with COVID and, and, and everything has so many of us just feeling like we don't know where to go. And mm-hmm. I like, I say, I feel like I'm walking in dense fog and all I can do right now is see my feet in front of me. Yeah. So if all I can see is my feet, then I'm going to make these the best fucking feet that I can. And I'm going to self-care the shit out of these feet because um, everything feels upside down right now. Yeah. 
And all of these, these markers for growth and joy and progress and love and all of this, this subconscious grieving that we don't even realize we're doing for the expectations of what we thought was going to happen for us this year, um, it, it's intense. It's really intense. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I shared a post on my Instagram and I said, okay, guys, listen, what are you grieving? No judgment. What, what, what do you miss? I'll tell you what I miss. I miss my friends. I miss mm -hmm. traveling. I miss going to a restaurant. I miss the, the whitewater rapid trip that I was going to take this year. I miss this. I miss that. This makes me sad. That makes me sad. And I just gave people a place to say out loud without judgment what they're grieving. What are you, mm -hmm. what are you grieving right now? Um, and they, you know, ranged from everything from I, I miss my family, I miss being able to hug people, to I miss the sense of peace I felt. I miss um, the, the chaos scares me. Um, in you know, I, I miss I miss all these things. I'm 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 open with passion for Black Lives Matter. I'm everything just feels so upside down. And rather than ignoring that, if we just talk about it and we just mm -hmm. sort of acknowledge that, yo, you're not fucked up. Like, no. how weird you think you feel? Like that, you know, man, I feel really weird. How you think you're the only one who feels weird right now? Nah, honey bun, trust me. Everybody's sitting in their fucking house feeling really weird right now. Mm -hmm. and we're just afraid to say it because we don't want to tell people we're not okay. But y'all, some of us are not okay. And that's okay. And the way to not be a victim of not being okay is to not sit around and suffer in silence. Totally. not okay. Fucking own it. I'm not okay today. Mm -hmm. Cool, but I know that I'm all right. I know I'm safe. I know I'm loved. Got a roof over my head. I'm okay. My weather is just coming in. My yeah. stuff is good, but I'm in some fucking weather. Yeah. I think solidarity really is the key to just, yeah, saying it out loud, not being alone in it. I love everything you've said in this interview. I can't wait to post it. I think people are really going to enjoy it. I just want to say thank you so much for having, for coming on the show. And I'm going to put all your links in the show notes because I think the work you're doing is incredible. Thank you. Can I, may I share a quick challenge for your audience? Yes. A quick challenge for you guys. Um, the way you share a show up for your life with vulnerability. The way you show up in your life with vulnerability will make it safe for somebody to show up in their life with vulnerability. So if you think about what we're talking about right now with how everybody's feeling with COVID and blah, 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 how can you lead a ripple of vulnerability and self-compassion just by turning around to a friend and saying, you know, friend, I feel really crappy today and blah, 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 blah. How can you make it safe for somebody else to be vulnerable? That is your power. You have that power. It doesn't take something dramatic. Um, so as my, my final words of encouragement, I would just say, how can you experience vulnerability in your life and start that ripple and make it safe for those in your life to also experience vulnerability because with that vulnerability comes healing and it comes solidarity and awareness and peace. And we all deserve that right now. Mm -hmm. So thank you for, for having me. Thank you for the chat. I, I loved talking to you. I just, I really appreciate it. And thank you for your continued support. Sarah Sapora. <laughs> Bye guys. 
Bye. That's our show, folks. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please share it on social media with your friends. And if you're looking for a size-inclusive space to unleash the athlete within you, don't forget to check out the Big Fit Girl community at bigfitgirl.com. Until next time.